This is a message from Leading the Way with Dr. Michael Youssef. We pray that it will encourage you in your walk of faith. If you would like to learn more about Dr. Youssef or Leading the Way, please visit ltw.org. What is really burdening my heart and occupying a great deal of my thinking and planning above all praying is the next generation. In fact, this is not a surprise to those of you who are close to me and know my heart, and we've been talking about this and praying about this. But what really challenged me in a way that really shook me by the root was an article in the Atlantic Monthly magazine. That is not a Christian magazine. So the bottom line of this article is as follows, that a handful of lobbyists from the gay, lesbian, and transgender group have been working behind the scene for a long time underground to change the biblical foundation of over 72 evangelical colleges in America and succeeding. These colleges were founded and funded by those who took the authority of the Scripture seriously. And what it took generations past to build is now in danger of collapsing before our own eyes. This is in no way not appreciating the marvelous work of campus ministries all around the country, all around the nation. But the jolt, to me personally, is being used by the Holy Spirit to challenge my thoughts, strategy, above all, my prayer life for the next generation. In the past, our Christian forebears have accomplished great and mighty things for God. How? By trusting God, believing God, to empower them to do great things for God. Throughout biblical history, we see God throughout history use the committed minorities, not the big and vast numbers, but the tiny, small minority, the Moses, the Joshua, the Davids, and yes, the handful of Galilean fishermen. And it was said of them that they have turned their world upside down, and their world was nothing but a brutal dictatorship of the Roman emperors who have brutalized many a Christian. Hear me right, please. I truly believe with all my heart that this can be said of this and the future generation. It can be said that they have turned their world upside down. They did not come to sit in the pews and said, bless me, and then they walked out unblessed. No, that they can turn the world upside down. And so I want you to turn with me, please, to Psalm 127, particularly verses 3 and 4. Here's a literal translation, verse 3. Behold, children are heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb and a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior are children of one's youth. I need to tell you one thing at the outset here. There is a specific application to these verses, and then there is a wider application. There is a narrow application, which is to the family, to each Christian family, to view their children as warriors for Christ, as arrows for Christ, as a gift from God. But then there is a wider application of these verses, and that is to see the children of the next generation of this church and the Christian community and the kingdom of God as warriors for Christ. And that is why, in fact, this psalm 
begins with the city, and then it goes into the family. Psalm 128 does the opposite. It begins with the family, and they go into the city. The psalmist begins, verse 1, by reminding us of the sovereignty of God. The sovereignty of God is foundational. It is the capstone. The sovereignty of God is the beginning and the end, the Alpha and the Omega, that God is the one who gives us the next generation as a gift, that God is the one who upholds the next generation, that God is the one who can equip us to do anything at all for the next generation. But then the psalmist hastened to tell us how we should view our responsibility to the next generation. But even our responsibility cannot be accomplished without the power of God and the grace of God. And that is why he kind of said, without and unless, unless, unless. There is only one way to view the next generation. Listen to me, please. And that is that they are truly a gift from God, that they are God's gift to families, that they are God's gift to churches, that they are God's gift to the kingdom of God, they are God's gift to society. And there are many parents, and you know it, and I know it, who want to give their children everything and provide them with everything, and they leave out the most important thing, and that is their responsibility towards your children, of training them to be mighty warriors for God, of reminding them of the power of God that is working in them, and that is to instruct them that God longs for them to do mighty things for Him, and that is to pray that they not only succeed in life, but they succeed for Christ in whatever profession they may choose. Now, there are parents who want to give their children, grandchildren, everything they never had, and they leave out the most important possession of all. There are churches that provide all sorts of entertainment and good times for the next generation. But they sin against the next generation by not instructing them that they can be giants for Christ in their generation, that they can accomplish great things for God in their generation, that they can change the world for Jesus Christ. So if I can paraphrase the first two verses of Psalm 127, it will be like this. You can frantically work hard to give the next generation everything, but if you leave out the most important thing, then the next generation is going to collapse before our own eyes. I know this is a rough use of translation, but you really get the meaning. We'll fall apart. This is happening to the next generation of so many called evangelicals, which is enough to bring you to tears. So many churches, and for many years... They provide the young people with a pizza night and a movie night and this night and that night, and they neglected to give them the most important thing. They can be great leaders of the next generation, that they could be expected to be used by God. Listen, I've often said to my kids growing up, I said, you know, somebody's going to lead, might as well be you. <laughs> and that's what we need to tell our next generation, that they seek God's power. They will seek God's strength to accomplish great things for God, that they can, with God's power, turn the world upside down. Do you believe this? That's why the psalmist is saying that the heritage from the Lord, what does that word mean? Well, heritage. What is a heritage? It's a gift. It's a precious gift. It's a valuable gift. 
It's a stewardship to be treasured. We did not earn it. We did not work hard for it. We did not produce it. No. God gave us the next generation as a precious gift. I want you to hear me right, please, because that gift of the next generation is far more valuable than all of the gold and the silver of the world. They are far more important than all of the real estates and the stocks and the bonds. They're far of greater value than all of the material possessions that we can give them. So the question is this, how do we treat such a gift? How do we treat it? With deep, deep sense of stewardship, a deep sense of responsibility, a great deal of care to protect and multiply and develop them. You see, with utter reliance on God and a sense of responsibility toward God, we can build up the next generation. We can encourage the next generation. We can instill in them a sense of responsibility for the future. We can train them to know God and to know that God can do great and mighty things in them and through them. We are constantly to remind them that they are a gift of God to serve the purpose of God in their generation. Listen, if like so many in our society, we just see the next generation as people who we entertain, pamper, provide for, seek self-fulfillment, give them all they need, good as these things may be, they will never become arrows in the hand of the warrior, the greatest warrior of all, the Lord Himself. He had to be arrows, and that's what the next verse is, verse 4. I am absolutely convinced that if we are not going to be arrows, we're going to become a dartboard. A dartboard. Verse 4, as arrows in the hand of a mighty man, that's a literal translation. You see, in the ancient world, arrows were used in warfare, and they actually were feared than the sword. Did you know that? And that's why the Bible describes Satan attacks us with arrows. It's called fiery darts. He's throwing at us all the time. Hear me right on this one. In the spiritual warfare, you can either be an arrow or a dartboard. What do you want to be? Amen. Receiving Satan's arrow will keep you in a defensive posture. And that's all right. We need to learn to be in a defensive posture. But we must learn to be on the offensive. We must invade his territory. We must go after those whom slave to sin and set them free because God called us to set the captive free. Being defensive is good but being on the offensive is better. I believe God wants us not just to know how to be defensive, but also offensive into satanic territory, His stronghold to rescue the perishing. God wants us to train the next generation to believe that they can be not only on the defense, but also on the offense. That's what an arrow does. Psalmist didn't say there will be a strong, polished dartboard. He said, arrows. Did you get that? To be an arrow, we need to plan and think 
and organize. And above all, stay on our knees praying day in and day out so that God will use the next generation powerfully. Because when they are in the hand of the greatest bow holder in the world, the Holy Spirit of God, they will accomplish things for God. Now, the quality of an arrow is that it's quick. It moves with lightning speed. That's why I said it's feared almost more than the sword. It's often unseen. It moves fast. Uh, Some of the greatest ministries are not visible, not the famous ones. In fact, in ancient times, because the arrow has a long-range capability, it's feared the most. One of the greatest training for the next generation is to know that they can accomplish great things for God on their campuses, in the workplace, wherever God may call them, because I can tell you on the authority of God's Word and of experience and knowledge that those ministries that are taking place that are invisible have greater impact than those of us who are standing behind this pulpit. And that is why the Bible constantly talks about us being errors. Look at Isaiah chapter 49, verse 2. God speak of His Word used like an arrow. Listen to the Word of God. He made my mouth like a sharpened sword. In the shadow of His hand, He hide me. He made me into a polished arrow. He made me into a polished what? And conceal me in His quiver. Jeremiah 51, 11. Sharpen the arrows. Take up the shield. For what purpose? For serving God's purpose. Arrows also used to send messages. They used to put a message in the tip of the arrow, and the bow holder would shoot it, and then the message would get to the other side. In fact, in 1 Samuel chapter 20, verse 21, you see Jonathan, the son of Saul, used the arrow to send David some messages. He said, if the arrow goes this way, it means that. If it goes that way, it means the other thing. To be sure, arrow can be used for good or evil. Satan used arrows, but we have to use arrows too. Depends on who is the bow holder. If the bow holder is the Holy Spirit of God, that arrows can accomplish great things for God, wonderful things for God, things for healing while Satan uses them for killing, things for peace while he uses them for hate, things for love while he uses them for enmity. Because when we pray and train the next generation, they become arrows in the greatest hand of all, the Lord's hand. Listen to me. The anti-biblical forces, and you have to be living under a rock not to see this. The anti-biblical forces are planning and scheming and organizing their arrows be used for evil. And that is why we have no option but to train the next generation to be arrows. How? First, that they should not be deceived by false notions. A lot of false notions going on around us in society. False notions. They should not fall for erroneous biblical teaching that's supposed to be relevant in reality is fearing man, not God. That they should be equipped to be used as sharp arrows in the hand of the Holy Spirit without fear of intimidation. Above all, as we train, we pray for the next generation. 
But not only pray, train and pray. There's something else I want to talk to my generation about, okay? Because we can do all the praying, we can do all of the training, but if we're not modeling for them, it's not worth half a hallelujah. Make no mistake about it. The next generation is watching what we do far more than what we say. Several years ago, I was meeting with a young man who grew up in a Christian home. And I must admit, it's one of those kind of meetings that sticks with you and, and stays with you, and you'll never forget it to the day you die. Because he said to me, he said, the reason I have forsaken the faith is because my parents project one image in public, and they live a different way at home. I'm telling you, this shook me to the core as a dad who made many mistakes, and now as a granddad. And that is why the psalmist says, unless God is the center of your home, unless God is the center of your business, unless God is the center of your heart, unless God is the center of your pocketbook, unless God is the center of your social life, unless God is the center of your calendar, unless God is the center of your thought, unless God is the center of the church, unless God is the center of the community, unless God is the center, all of the trillions of dollars you can throw at it ain't going to work. We've tried it. We tried it, trillions of dollars, and we're seeing society falling right before our own eyes. It was Albert Schweitzer who once said, example is not the main thing in influence. It is the only thing. I know it might be an exaggeration, but it makes the point. It makes the point. It's no use just telling, training, and praying. We have to model I'm going to tell you this story, and I'll conclude. This is a real story to illustrate what I'm trying to tell you about modeling. There was a man by the name of Henry M. Stanley. Back in the middle of 1800s, he was a reporter for the New York Herald. He was given an assignment. Go to Africa. Find Dr. David Livingston. David Livingston went, and for five years... Nobody heard from him, and he thought he was dead. So that was his assignment. And David Livingston had last seen was 1865. David Livingston was the first missionary to go into the interior of Africa with the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. He was the first white man to ever see Victoria Falls. And after his wife's death, Livingston threw himself completely into his work of reaching the lost in Central Africa for Christ. Now, he was not heard of for five years. So in 1871, Henry Stanley finally caught up with Dr. Livingston at the lake of Tanganyika, which is now Tanzania. For over a year, Stanley followed and lived with Dr. David Livingston, who was 58 at the time, what he was trying to do initially is to persuade Dr. Livingston to return back to England. But after spending this considerable time living with him, walking with him, eating with him, ministering with him, watching this great man of God, he could write the following. He said, Had my soul been a brass and my heart of tin, the powers of my head surely compelled me to recognize with due honor the spirit of goodness which manifested itself in him. 
Had there been anything of the Pharisee or the hypocrite in him? Or had I traced a grain of meanness or guile in him? I would have turned away a skeptic. But my everyday study of him, during health or sickness, deepened my reverence and increased my esteem. He was, in short, consistently noble, upright, pious in all the days of my companionship with him. Beloved, that's our responsibility. That's the responsibility of my generation, is to model for the next generation, because I can tell you all of the preaching and all of the teaching and all of the training will not result anywhere near as modeling. If we had to pray and guide the next generation to do great exploits for God, we better get off our blessed assurance and do great things for God. We had better sit our lives as role models so that they can see, not just hear, how to do great things and great exploits for God. Thank you. 